folks, Eve here. This is a show about the experiences of LGBTQ folks that find joy recreating in the outdoors. We're creating space for folks to share their stories, which means you might hear some things that just don't make sense to you. And that is exactly why we're here. It's our hope that you will listen with an open mind. And as always, we welcome thoughtful and engaged feedback. We look forward to hearing how you brought this conversation into your own community. With that, welcome to the ride. Hey, Casey. Hey, Eve. What do you have for us this week? I have an interview this week. A little bit of a change. It was very fun. Yeah. To get to interview my friend Donovan. Um, Donovan is a trans pansexual identifying person who is working his dream job of being a park ranger. And so we got to talk and we talked about his transition, being trans outdoors and in the workplace and the everyday and exciting work of being a park ranger and doing education and advocacy work around gender identity. That is so amazing. I had such a blast editing this episode and hope that everyone enjoys it as much as I did. Thanks. Yeah. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Okay, let's go. Just a quick side note before we get started. This week's guest is a park ranger with the National Park Service. However, it should be noted that the opinions expressed by our guest on this podcast and in this episode are not necessarily the views and opinions of the National Park Service or the Department of the Interior and should not be interpreted as such. All right. With that, let's get into it. Donovan, welcome to the show. Hi. We're so glad to have you this week. We have tons of things to talk about. I have a very long list for you. You've been mildly prepared, so... <laughs> I'm excited nonetheless. Yeah, let's jump into it. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is, can you introduce yourself, um, your name, your pronouns, and how you identify? Yeah, so my name is uh, Donovan. I go by he, him pronouns, and I guess I identify as a pansexual trans man, I guess. Hell yeah. Pan represent. <laughs> and pan too. Nice. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I want to tell everyone how we met. Oh yeah, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, so I was in California with my friend Brienne, who is an incredible individual and is friends with everyone she meets. Like truly the most social, (laughs) friendly person in the world. And we were at a national park and she was like, oh, my friend Donovan works here. I hope we run into him. But it's this huge park. (laughs) There's like no way we were just gonna like run into her friend Donovan. And I was like, there's no way this will happen. And then halfway through our day, this park ranger comes wandering <laughs> through the park, and it's just like, hey, has anyone seen a girl with a southern accent? <laughs> yeah. And we, like, turn our heads around, and we're like, it's Donovan! And he just found us out here yeah. in the wild. It was amazing. 
Yep, yeah, that's, I guess, part of the job is you got to know if somebody says they're going to be in one spot, you got to be able to locate them. <laughs> it was, yeah, I was impressed. I was like, Donovan, Donovan knows his way around. Yep. Yeah, um, so that was how we met, and then you told us a lot of stories about your work, and it was just so fascinating, and I was like, oh man, I wish I had the recorder to share this with so many more people, so yep. we're back and we're talking again. Here we are. Yeah, to share more things. So, tell us a little bit about park ranger life. Yeah. Like, what's your what's your day to day? Just. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the park that I'm currently at is the first park that I've ever worked at, and I love it a ton. Um, when I was in college, I actually studied forensic psychology, and I was like, oh yeah, I want to go into criminology. Which is nothing like being a park ranger, right? Am I wrong? <laughs> yeah. It's really- Nothing similar at all, yeah. Okay, yeah, those are not related. Um, yeah, I mean, unless you go into, like, law enforcement kind of thing, but currently what I'm doing now, yeah, there's nothing really that prepared me, at least with that degree, um, per se. But, uh, yeah, and so I, I kind of realized that in college I was going for that field, not only, you know, because it interests me a little bit, but because of I wanted money, and I was like, maybe then, you know, in that in that kind of field I can make money and do something that I like. But when I realized that when I was going to school and when I was working, like, on my days off, I was going and, like, rock climbing and hiking and doing these things. And so I realized that that's actually what I really love to do. And I kind of started to really play with that saying in my head of like, if you love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. And so I was like, why not work doing the things that I love to do on my days off? And so it just worked out really well to my benefit. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you sort of transition into working in the outdoors? Um, So yeah, like I said, I've always been fairly outdoors. I had two brothers. And so this was, I think, that played a big kind of interesting thing, I guess, in my like gender identity was I had two brothers who were Eagle Scouts growing up. And so they were going on crazy high adventure trips. They were going to Mount Whitney, just doing insane things for their age. And, you know, being in Girl Scouts, it was like, oh, we're going to do a science experiment with lava. (laughs) You're like, hey, this is not fair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, this sucks. And so that was, I think, one of the most like amazing things that I experienced, at least not only with like kind of post my transition, but especially with that lining up. I started transitioning um, right when I started college. And so kind of being very comfortable in my transition state and also graduating college at the same time really gave me this feel to just like get out and do all these things that like I've always wanted to do essentially in the outdoors so that was pretty fantastic yeah hell yeah um yeah I guess uh to answer your question though I uh started volunteering for this park shortly after graduation um I was also currently uh attending EMT classes and so when I got hired at this park it conflicted with that schedule so I had to drop that. I'm currently retaking the classes though so I'm pretty pumped to have that certification but I just started volunteering as something to just add to a resume because I really loved this park and I wanted to give back to it everything that it had given me and then somebody was like hey you should work here and I was like yeah I should. (laughs) So yeah so that's how I got into it. That's amazing. Yeah. And do you like plan to be a park ranger or at least working in the outdoors? 
for a while. Yeah, I th I think with my experience, um, I've gotten the like amazing opportunity to work with um, search and rescue missions and stuff like that. Mm. And so I think emergency services is what I'm going to go into, whether or not I'll step away from the park service for a little bit and work more local emergency services. But my I guess my lifelong goal would I would love to be on like the Yosemite search and rescue team or something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, something yeah. pretty cool. Do you have any crazy like rescue stories that you want to tell us? <laughs> um, nothing too crazy. I haven't gotten to do too many. Which is good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That. I, yeah, I've, I've been able to attend some amazing trainings and yeah, I guess the, the most crazy one is I witnessed my first like helicopter search and rescue. So that was pretty cool, Ooh, but good. yeah, nothing too specific. That is some, I, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of people ask me, they were like, are you sure that's what you want to go into now that you've experienced it? And I was like, oh man, I, this is making me even want to go into a more. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there are some people who like in a moment of crisis, it's just like they click into action and they're so good at that. And then there's some people that are just like yeah. running around like with chicken with their head cut, like they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And I would be the second. And I'm so thankful that there are people who are like the first. Definitely. We need you. Yep. That's super exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing about like working in the outdoors all, all day, every day? Or are you actually outside every day? Yeah. So with the with w w where I work and the position that I work, it's I work very much outdoors almost every day. Um, it's it can be pretty exhausting sometimes. I get sunburnt a lot. <laughs> Always pink. Um, but yeah, I guess the amazing thing about it is specifically the place that I work. It has this amazing like meditative property. And so I actually used to be a huge fan of this was a weird like awakening moment, but I used to be a huge fan of going to Disneyland because mm. um, I used to live a little bit more out towards that area and so I remember going and I was like this is the most amazing thing and so now after working in such a natural like beautiful place sometimes I'll go back to these cities and stuff and it's it's like I feel very like desensitized to that like wow factor of them kind of thing mm -hmm. and honestly it's it's like quite a refreshing feel um yeah I just wouldn't give it up for the world yeah. but uh yeah yeah so a lot of people like go outdoors to like reset or relax or explore yeah but for you it's like your day-to-day -day. yeah yeah there that is kind of the a little bit on that downside of it it's like if you work uh where you vacation then sometimes it doesn't necessarily become your vacation yeah so of course if you're if you're in the a place where I used to love to come out on my weekends sometimes when you're in there five days a week Sometimes your days off now have become kind of a, all right, I'm going to hang out a little bit in town kind of thing. But yeah. <laughs> sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What is it like to work in a place? Well, you're probably spending a lot of your time outdoors, but you're also seeing a lot of tourists, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. I do see a lot of tourists. Yeah. I feel actually pretty extremely grateful to have the background that I had here growing up. Um, because if I work with a lot of older folks sometimes and yeah, it's just, it gets kind of tricky as far as like the amount of privilege that I've had to be able to be, have access to the education that I have mm -hmm. and, um, essentially navigate not just like my work, but just like everyday life the area that I moved to is fairly red. It mm. has a very much older demographic. And so be able to have the education privilege that I have to understand certain cultures and have exposure to them and 
really have a lot more higher level of education on these kind of things uh, and be able to use those tools to communicate with other individuals uh, as far as trying to think about the way to put it. But I don't know if that makes sense what I'm trying to say, but how to be able to communicate to them. Yeah. Uh, like whether or not if they say something problematic or, you know, how to help educate them. Um, yeah, I came, uh, went to a liberal arts college. Um, it was fairly small. And so I was uh, the president of an organization and it was called Safe Space Allies. And it was originally made to create spaces uh safer for LGBT individuals. Mm. Um, but what ended up happening is I, my main mission when I was president was to create safe spaces on both ends of the spectrum. And I know a lot of people really don't like that, <laughs> but I noticed this huge kind of wall that was happening of, well, actually the first exposure that I had that made me realize this wall was happening was when I was trying to move into a house with other students and there was a consideration of not letting me move in because they were worried that they were going to say something that would offend me. And none of them had met like a trans person before. And so I said, okay, that's interesting because it's not necessarily a transphobic, like discrimination kind of thing, but it's like this, this fear that's happening of like, people are worried that they're going to say something to offend. And so I, uh, that was my main mission in that organization was what can I do to help prevent that? So the cool thing about Safe Space Allies is that uh, any of the new Greek Life members that were being initiated, um, a lot of faculty, dorms had to go to mandatory trainings with me before they could be inducted. So it sounds fantastic, a little stressful on my end though. Um, I would have to give each semester over 150 Greek life members, so frats and sorority individuals, trainings on LGBT education. Um, some of them were, yeah, some of them were, it was, we did PowerPoint kind of style, amphitheater, and then other ones, I tried to recruit a bunch of trainers to take people into smaller groups and essentially not only educate them, but really provide a space in which it's like, now is your time to get out any of those questions. And it was, it was a little intense for me sometimes in that I, I enjoyed being able to answer people's questions when they had them, but also kind of in that tricky thing of then I was always that person that everybody would come to when they had questions. So it's, it was a it was a bittersweet feeling of I felt extremely grateful to help educate people, but then also it was kind of that thing of like, well, let's go ask the the the, tr the iconic like trans kid over there, you know, and maybe he'll answer them and and so yeah, there was kind of weird stuff with that. Yeah, yeah right. And at at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, this is still like this is your identity. And this isn't just like, oh, a job that I'm putting on to educate some people and then I like get to go home, but that like weighs heavier with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, Brie was telling us about work that you do with educating people around gender and different things, so. Yeah, that was just, I think, one of the most like pivotal college experiences. And yeah, Brianne, and it's fantastic because of it not only also allowed spaces to help educate others, but then also tried to create spaces to further um, like what it means to be part of the community. And so like a huge thing that we did that my girlfriend actually helped me with, she helped me redesign a logo um, to include things like, you know, the black and brown stripe and in the flag and revamp it and really challenge not only outside of the community, but 
challenge the community actually be inclusive mm. right and yeah. um That's yeah amazing. so yeah so do, have they carried it on since you graduated um yeah 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 I, yeah they had somebody carry it on um I think they're studying abroad at the moment but they're always welcome to uh, ask, uh, ask me questions if they need anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And did you write that curriculum yourself? No, actually the current city council member for the city um, that my college was in actually was the original co-creator. And so that had been that had been passed down and so it keeps getting revamped each year revised as like the the community's curriculum keeps growing there's always need for revision and so it started with yeah one person being like i think there needs to be change in this college and then next thing you know it's like turning into this like multi-dimensional like meeting we went to high schools to help work with like some of the local high school pride clubs and stuff like that so that's that's pretty neat yeah yeah. That's one thing I love about um, our show and that I think is important. I think when some people think of queer people, they're like, oh, it's, you know, like gay guys going out to nightclubs mm-hmm. or, and, and drag queens. And that's all you think of. Yeah. When it's really like the community is so diverse and there's so many. Yeah. There's just as many different kinds of queer and gender non-conforming people as there are Mm -hmm. straight people like we love all sorts of things and we do all sorts of different activities and there are a million different ways yeah to be queer to be lgbtq plus so that's something that i think people can look to this podcast and be like oh i can i can be like that or i can be like this and yeah i think people need examples yeah yeah to look up to like oh i could be a trans park ranger what i have no idea Yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hit and miss too, because of along with going to a liberal arts college, it's like the amount of accessibility to activism is so under, like underrated and underrecognized. Um, because there it was like super easy to be like, I'm going to put up these, you know, posters and I'm going to protest. And like, it was in a sense, despite, you know, it was, it was a pretty liberal college, but it was such a safe place to practice that empowerment. Whereas now it's very interesting, not only with just the job that I have, but with a lot of other jobs. I had to experience this just when I worked in retail. Um, is like, for instance, the other day, somebody, I was asking my coworker a question and then they heard me talk and then they uh, essentially alert to the fact that I was gay um, because of my voice, which is, it's funny because I love my girlfriend, but um, it's, yeah, it's just kind of in this hit and miss of how do you continue that activism? And it's a question I've been playing with myself a lot lately is how do you continue that activism when you're put in situations where you can't really be an activist, you know, because you have to represent a badge or a park or something like that. And so it's how do you continue that? Um, yeah. So I'm still kind of figuring out the answer on that one. Um, of course, in that situation, I just had to ignore it and walk away. But oh, yeah, I'm figuring it out, though. <laughs> um, yeah, college can be like a little bubble of what the real world is like yeah. in a really awesome way. But yeah. Definitely. It's, it's an, yeah, it's in a very sad way of, of it's like, yeah, really great because you like get that feeling of like, wow, this is what it means to feel like empowered of who I am. But also like, how do you tell somebody that like in the real world, it's like might not be like that. And like, there's 
might not be something you can do. But also sometimes there are things you can do. And, and I think that that also goes on to if there's like any allies listening right now, like if you can do something to like stand up to them, you know, or like say something if you see something, because of usually when you're the bystander, you have a lot more power in a situation than the one that's being attacked. And so that's been my experience, at least especially post-graduation. Um, is when people hear something, they don't say something, and then that person who's then the victim of whatever happened is like taking the full brunt when the person who was the bystander could have said something and they actually would have probably been okay, you know, yeah. but yeah, so. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, moving on, sort of, but also related. Are there any experiences or instances you can think of and want to share with us where either your gender identity or your sexual identity mm. has impacted your experience in the outdoors or your experience working in the outdoors? Yeah. So something that I like kind of created a little bit on my own, especially with being a like cis passing trans man, um, apparently not straight passing though. So <laughs> I'm just making a joke, but, um, uh, is that I, it feels like I kind of have this like superpower, right? So I was raised as a socially raised as a girl all the way up through high school until, you know, through my freshman year of college. So I've kind of, I've experienced some of the things that, um, you know, somebody who's very femme passing most of their life will also experience. And now that I have this kind of social status as perceivably like a white cis male, I've been able to observe things from that bystander perspective and also be able to empathize immediately with the person who's like been affected so like a great example would be my uh, my great friend her name's Michelle she uh is a climbing guide and so we were um she was prepping for a climbing test and so we went out and I was gonna be her little like student so I was acting like I didn't know anything and so she's sitting there instructing me and I mean, she's the one that's prepping for this like second level high guide test and another male climber came over and started telling her what she was doing wrong. And it's like immediately you're just kind of like, oh man. And so I, you know, of course, in that moment that, you know, what's going through my head is I'm like, man, this girl totally knows what she's talking about. Why is this guy doing this? And like, also, I know for a fact this guy wouldn't be telling me this because of the way I look. Um, and so being able then to use that before, you know, before I could get to it, she kind of was like, I know what I'm doing, dude, you didn't know. And also like, you know, stepping back and being like, okay, does she, you know, she can stand up for herself, but also like, if she's not going to, like, I'm going to do something because <laughs> this guy, yeah. But, um, yeah. And so, I mean, I can always do a little bit better with that too, as well, using that. But yeah, I guess just really being able to understand that, um, definitely helps a lot. As far as something that's been kind of a downside though is that something that I really try to value with myself as like a trans man is that, you know, I, I lear I've learned to speak with inflection and, you know, uh, like kind of having personality and showing expression has always been like an important part of myself and of course I come across quite, a, you know, the social norm is that guys speak very monotone and s speak with conviction and, you know, and so the kind of bummer thing is that yeah, is, is especially in the outdoor world, there's almost this little bit of, and almost with any sports community, there's a sense of heightened, like, masculinity of, like, you got to be buff and fit and, you know, this and that, and that's what makes you a man. And so there was, like, an instance where I was at a party, um, 
with some coworkers and there was a, a hangboard and so all the guys were trying to do some pull-ups and you know they could only do one or two and then I got up and I could do you know like 10 like pretty quickly and yeah and it was interesting because I felt really ignored from a lot of the guys at the party but then the moment I did the 10 pull-ups they're all coming up to me and they're like oh man like we should go climbing sometime you know like this and so it's yeah that. you kind of just like draw people to yourself it's it's almost like the subconscious thing <laughs> you just kind of like gather these people around you and later you find out you're like oh that was it that was that like secret yeah yeah and so that's kind of that weird thing with like you know even unfortunately with the outdoor community is that that tends to happen um I still find myself generally more I find it a lot easier still to be friends with um people who, who I usually identify as women um or who more are femme um, I've, I've, it's been getting better with some guys, but yeah, most of, most of the time, if there's a guy that I get along with, I'll, I'll find out that like, they're not straight or they're mm. not, you know, something. And I'm like, ah, queer, I, queer solidarity. I feel you. Uh, and especially with, yeah, my work, it's a really interesting thing because it's such an old traditional, like, you know, like if you ask, you know, the kind of the boomer generation to them, that was like this the the ranger and like you know you wore that uniform and it was it kind of meant something different than like what I think it means now today at least in my opinion and so you know kind of communicating with younger generations and working with them and older generations and yeah so it's just uh it's an interesting field because it's like it's provided me so much like su such a g amazing space to grow as a person and like find like solitude from any of like the stress of anything and what I was you know telling you about how when you're outside like it doesn't matter what gender you are what sexuality mm -hmm. like the the trees don't grow any higher for a straight person mm -hmm. they don't you know the the rocks don't you know hold nicer if you're gay you know it's it's yeah. it's all the same and everybody can experience that and that's an amazing thing so yes, yeah that's why we love the outdoors ah oh, that's beautiful yeah <laughs> yeah was there some like some person or maybe even like an example that you looked to somewhere earlier in your journey that helped you feel comfortable as a queer person or as a trans person in the outdoors were there any people that you looked to or did you kind of have to forge your own path hmm I would say as far as the outdoors, I think I did have to forge my own path. Um, mm. It seemed like a lot of, I noticed that a lot of the trans guys that I was in close contact with, you know, a huge thing, at least with like myself and, and a close, uh, a few of the other trans guys in my close proximity, when you start to transition, you start getting mm -hmm. all into like fashion and you're like, oh man, this is so great. And so living kind of closer to a city, that's what kind of started to happen was that adaptation. Um, but kind of going into the outdoors, it actually was just a lot of like badass women mm. who I just hung out with, who I was like, this doesn't make me any less of a guy that I only hang out with girls. And in an ideal world, you know, if you're not being sexist or anything like that, it then matter. it shouldn't yeah. be a problem <laughs> like hanging out with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess like, some key, f yeah, like, I guess, like, I, I, I would look up to Brienne a little bit in that I admire, especially in the outdoor world, there's a lot of, like, really serious guys, and, of course, like, 
any woman would know that, of course, the moment, you know, you get serious and have to, like, be a boss, people start referring to you as the, the, the bad B word, you know? Mm-hmm. And so being able to see that and be like, oh, man, you have, like, this perfect balance of, like, you have compassion and you can relate to somebody, but also, like, you can get the job done when you need to, you know? Um, and also be so fun. She's very fun. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and then, yeah, I guess I have two others. And, in, in, yeah, I guess my girlfriend would be actually one of my big, like, kind of, like, uh, like outdoor inspirations. And in that kind of, like, the patient, a hard thing that I had to deal with that made me feel, like, a little emasculated is, is I never had a problem going to the bathroom, really. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, you got to sit down and that's fine. And it sucks because guys' stalls only have one stall. But I think the hardest thing that I've had to deal with is when I go outside with a group of guys. Of course, it sounds so mundane, but it's like, you know, when they're like, oh, I got to go pee. And they just go behind a rock and then it's like no big deal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for like other people who don't necessarily have that, like they have to kind of go farther off, you know, and that kind of thing. And so Mm -hmm. she really inspired me in the means of like not only making me feel like comfortable with stuff like that in the outdoors, but also like really working with me to try and like, cause nobody's ever asked me before, but try and like bring like that kind of education to an outdoor space. Mm-hmm. Cause I was doing these safe space trainings and I never worked with like any of the outdoor programs. And so I like, it really meant a lot that she was pretty avid, a, a pretty big advocate for trying to get, you know, like some trans guys that come outdoors mm-hmm. might have to use sanitary napkins, you know, or, you know, try and make things more inclusive. If the guy, trans guy needs more privacy, try and, you know, make something work so they don't have to out themselves by the fact that they need to go behind a rock to right. compete, you know, kind of thing. It's It sounds simple, but it starts to add up. And then, yeah, and especially for the reason why I think that I'm working at the park that I am today is, yeah, my, my friend Michelle, who's just, like, the badass, like, climber person that she is, and just, like, watching her, um, just maneuver her way through, like, a field of guys, because I guess that, that's what I would still identify with, and why, like, her and these other women, um, have been, like, pretty inspirational for me, is that I didn't feel... I felt comfortable in identifying myself as a man, Mm -hmm. but I often felt like I wasn't man enough for society, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so when I would go into these spaces, I was like, oh man, I'm not, you know, a lot of guys like to act like they know everything. So (laughs) I was like, I don't know how to do that or maneuver in like with all these other guys that are in these outdoor spaces. And then these watching these like women do it Mm -hmm. so effectively and be like who they are and each come from like different perspectives was just like yeah it was pretty great to watch so I imagine that must be something a lot of trans people can relate with like the feeling of oh I I know my gender and I know who I am but I I have to perform it to someone else's standard yeah definitely that's something that I think is like the hardest thing I've had to deal with in any of my relationships that I've had is almost feeling comfortable with myself but then the moment that I'm with somebody it's kind of like oh I feel bad that Mm. they have to deal with that or I feel bad that they and I I almost feel myself Mm -hmm. feeling more guilty for them than I do myself which has been an interesting complex and yeah I don't know Uh, I've talked to some 
some of my trans friends and it's I get I get a mixed signals of whether or not they feel the same so you know but um yeah just kind of like I said yeah we're going out hiking with a bunch of people and I'm hiking with my girlfriend and it's like I gotta go pee and and we're not anywhere where like you know you can fully get coverage like like I'll, I'll have you know this bad habit of like I'll just keep it to myself yeah. and like hold it or something because of I don't want to like you know like that's just embarrassing for her and stuff like that and yeah yeah and yeah and she's so great about it she's like I don't give I don't care <laughs> you know but it's just it's something that I gotta work on and yeah so that's growing as I work in the outdoor field and just becoming more comfortable and yeah and like not also trying to to not assume mm. that every guy is like that in the outdoors. I've met some pretty amazing guys who I thought I had an opinion of them. And, and then next thing I find out that they are like the cool, yeah, mm. just the coolest thing ever. So yeah. yeah, but yeah. Um, this is like maybe TMI, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. Have you ever tried one of those like pee funnels? <laughs> Actually, well, kind of. I feel like they're always advertised as like, oh, man. when you're backpacking in the wilderness. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, so the funny one was, so I actually had two instances where I tried it, where um, I actually had a other friend who was trans who was, he was gifted, uh, he won, like, a giveaway or something, one of those really expensive packers where you can essentially pee with them. And he didn't use it, and so he was like, you can have it. And so I tried with that. And I tried with that at home, which I'm glad that I did because it didn't go as well <laughs> as, oh, yeah. as you would think. Yeah. And then, so then I was like, okay, well maybe cause this is a weird design. So I'll, I'll order one of those. So I actually ordered, yeah, one of those ones that they, I think, yeah, I won't plug any names cause it's ah. horrible. But <laughs> yeah. But, um, I got it and this thing was like, oh my gosh, it was like the size of let me think of something it, like almost the size of like an entire piece of like regular notebook paper oh no yeah that's that's too big like this thing was massive and I was like how is this discreet and then I was thinking about it and I was like oh man this is so complicated to use and then I was thinking about sanitary wise yeah have it with and so, you yeah and then it's gonna like get dirty yeah, yeah it, everyone I know who has tried them has just ended up like peeing all over themselves <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that I, I, after that attempt, I was like, no. And so I set that as kind of a personal goal of, in a way of like inspiring myself to get more comfortable with myself in the outdoors of just like, yeah. you're not going to use it. So you're going to keep doing it till you feel comfortable. Yeah. That's just like, that's something that I, I haven't found somebody that necessarily relates to me on that personal level, but that's something, especially with my transition that I've used to help me like push farther mm. um yeah I I moved out of my parents house at the age of 17 and so I've been working from the moment I graduated high school and like supporting my own rent and stuff and through college and so I've always had to kind of set these goals of like well if you don't do it then it's not gonna work out kind of thing so especially yeah with like hormones I used to pass out a ton when getting shots it was a really bad thing anytime I go and get a shot pass out, oh, sometimes wow. have a seizure and throw up. And so I, I did this, this, um, this pretty cool thing that they have, uh, which is where essentially they make it a little incision and mm. they look like little cigarette butts and then they put them 
under your skin and then they dissolve oh. for over the course of six months. And so that's a really easy way to take hormones because then you don't have to worry about it for six months and then you have it going. Yeah. Unfortunately, insurance doesn't cover those. Oh, no. And so, yeah, so those costs, like, at least at my doctor, they were like $500 for every six months. And when you're paying your own rent, that's like a whole month's rent. So, yeah, yeah I couldn't afford that one. So, um, whereas injections are $10 a month for me. So... Um, so I said to myself, I was like, you got to start injections and you got to do it. And, um, yeah, my previous partner before I felt so bad because of the amount of times that I had to give myself a shot and I would pass out and then she'd have to take it out for me. And oh, yeah. And so that was kind of the oh. bummer thing. But I mean, now I can do it no problem. And now when I go to get vaccines, uh, I don't pass out. So I guess it worked out in the end. Yeah. You're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, Wow. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of like survival. Like, they're just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's admirable, but also heartbreaking that it has to be that way. Like, not the shots as much as just different skills that you need to survive in the world. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah that was... Yeah, that was something that I actually my senior year we had to do like a like I was in a program where I didn't have to do a per se a capstone. I got to do like a senior project. Mm -hmm. And so my project was actually because during my transition, it was a lot of like asking like, oh, where can I get this or where can I do this? And like, how do you do this to other people? That I know we tried to add to like Facebook trans groups kind of thing and ask there. And it, mm -hmm. I was like, this is ridiculous that we've had so many people transition and that there's so many people are currently transitioning who there isn't yeah. like a resource guide and 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 yeah and so i ended up for my senior project compiling a resource guide uh with like step by step like how to change your name um granted that's kind of tricky because it's different per county so mine mm. only relates to like um you know where i went to college in like san bernardino kind of county but step-by-step step, how to change your name, the kind of hormones that you can take, um, mm. you know, how to make that work with insurance. Top surgery is a big one that people are always asking how to deal with because of if you go to a regular general surgeon, sometimes you can, sometimes paying on your insurance, you can get it mm -hmm. um, almost 100% paid for. But if you go to a general surgeon, the way that my plastic surgeon explained it to me is that a general surgeon, their job is to fix the medical problem. Mm -hmm. So if the medical problem is, is remove the breast, right, then they'll do that but their goal won't necessarily be the, the best results, right? Sure. So that's why, like, you know, I feel extremely privileged. Um, but I, yeah, had had an amazing group in college who helped me fundraise. And so I, I wasn't able to go to a plastic surgeon, which only covered 50% of it. So I still owed about 5000 after after insurance coverage. But um, yeah, I still, unfortunately, <laughs> even after paying for that, I, I couldn't afford to take time off work. So I ended up having to go to work. Um, a week after oh. the surgery, which usually oh, they require no. at least three to four weeks. Yeah, yeah so I ended up. Weeks. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up unfortunately ripping a big hole in my chest. So, <laughs> yeah. So as much as I paid extra to have the uh, the nice scars, they're now a little big. So that's something that I'm working on. Um, but I've had amazing people from like my college who just like it, I feel so blessed that they like keep me in their mind because of yeah, I had people from college who went into crazy like skin therapy massage therapy who will reach out to me who are like I I'll do this treatment for free for you you know this kind of thing so uh -huh. yeah so it's I guess that that's just like the most amazing thing about not only being like a part of the community but when like people really like support the community and like ways like that it just yeah makes it all worth it to me um what are so I mean even like creating that 
that step-by-step book guide is one thing, but what are some other ways that you think we can create accessibility for people, especially in the outdoors? Definitely. It's such a tricky question because of, Mm -hmm. like, for instance, with the parks, you have to pay a fee to enter, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody can't afford the fee, then you don't have entry. I think the biggest thing, like, socially is just got to be... It's kind of, it's like hard to answer because I wish I could fix it all in one answer, but yeah, um, it's a, yeah, and it's a big question. Yeah. I mean, I think the amazing thing about the outdoors is, is the one accessibility that it does have already, you know, you don't have to worry about necessarily getting mm-hmm. denied from the outdoors for mm-hmm. being who you are. Um, as far as being accessible, it, a lot of it to me actually comes down more as like a, a race disparity, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you look at a lot of current outdoor groups, I follow a few queer outdoor groups and it's, it's a lot of white people mm-hmm. and, and I would love to see more of a kind of push to celebrate like different cultures and history. So I guess, especially with my work is, is it's often, it's talked a lot about the white history within the park right but if you're somebody who comes from a different culture who that park means something different to that might not necessarily make you feel included in that space so not only as like an employee of the park but just anybody in general no matter what area you're going to acknowledge like what kind of land you're on right so are you like on serrano land are you on Navajo land are you you know and and understand different ways in which that is important to the behavior that you have on that land and and also yeah just yeah I just I just see people essentially I guess to just keep it in easy terms just essentially really acknowledge what the land was before so not only you know be respectful to it to it leave no trace principles but really understand like what the land meant to different people and that it's not always the same for others yeah um that's something that i've noticed um i really like to go to national parks or state park and they always you know have signs with the like history Mm -hmm. and it'll be like so and so discovered this in this time it's like "Mm, but there was probably more happening here before this white dude showed up like yeah 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 definitely yeah (laughs) yeah I would I'd leave it at that but is there I know you can't give us all of your insider secrets Uh but but what are some things you wish like people could know either about your job or just things yeah anything you've come across you're like people should know this Mm. um let me think here I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess the great thing about my job is, is it really, I mean, there's like a lot of great things about my job, but what I guess I would want people to know, oh, I guess a fun fact that I was just talking to some visitors about is everybody's like, oh, your job's so cool. Um, So something that's cool about what we do is before you can have a permanent job, you have to do usually 24 months of seasonal work. So a lot of the rangers that you might see uh, will most likely be coming from another park. Um, this is my first park, but um, yeah, a lot of the other people that I work with have come from many different states. And so it can actually be, for somebody who's interested in going into it, um, definitely look at the demographic that you're in. Um, you know, the, the city demographic itself is pretty liberal. That makes, you know, the work environment there is like 
very accepting of like who I am and I just mm-hmm. work with like the most amazing people right um if you go to somewhere else you might have like uh yeah you might it could be different yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it could be different um different yeah and not necessarily in a, in a bad way but just different ways you know um yeah. every state has different cultures and values um oh, yeah so have most park rangers worked at multiple parks or can you do the 24 month like in different apartments of the same park you could do them um at one park so you can keep rate rehire status i believe is what it is so if you don't if you don't work for another park or under um, the NPS, then you mm-hmm. can keep that rehire status. So if you work somewhere that's a winter park and then you don't work somewhere over the summer, then you can come back and just rework if they if they ask you. But most of the time they do. Um, so that's that's one way that people do it. Um, yeah, I work with people that have come from education. Uh, they were like completely random jobs before. Um, yeah, it's not, I I guess what I would want to tell people is it's not that hard to get into as it seems. Mm-hmm. And also know your different types of rangers. Mm-hmm. That's a bit, <laughs> not, many, not many people know the different types of rangers. Um, there's interpretive rangers, so those are the ones that are doing those great programs for you when you come to the park. Mm-hmm. There's the law enforcement rangers, those are the ones that... Um, are the ones that carry the gun and they, you know, can enforce tickets and stuff. There's the fee rangers, the ones that you see to the booth. Um, the, yeah, a lot of different positions are considered rangers. So mm. something important to keep in mind. Um, yeah. Um, do a lot of people stay for a long time? In in the park that I work at? Yeah. Like, are they like, oh, I've been working at this park oh. forever or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like with any park, you know... The amazing thing is, I mean, a lot of people that I've asked is that they they seem to join because of this amazing opportunity to work at fantastic parks. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have people who will work in one place and they're like, okay, this is, I've gotten my fill of this amazing ecosystem here. I'm going to go check out this crazy, like opposite end of the ecosystem kind of thing. Um, But also keeping in mind that I, you know, it might not always be moving around. So, um, and especially for people that are, I mean, you can always volunteer at a park too. That's like an amazing way if you're, if you're interested in going into it, but you're not too sure if that's like what you want to commit to. Um, Parks always need volunteers, <laughs> so I, that's that's how I got into it. Is I was a volunteer, and then it, it worked out. So yeah, I think yeah. people forget that. I know someone who um, they hiked the PCT. P- yeah, PCT. Yeah, PCT. yeah, they hiked that, and then when they finished it, it took like two hundred days. Am I thinking the right trail? I'm probably. Um. Yeah, it's the PCT is the one from Canada to Mexico, and it usually takes. I think it's like usually like five months. Yeah. Is that long? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they took them two hundred something days, and then when they finished, they were like we're so thankful for this amazing trail and like this amazing experience that we got to have in the outdoors. We want to give back. And so for every day we were on the trail, we want to do like an hour of trail service work. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so they're doing like 200 something hours of like park maintenance on these Mm -hmm. trails and on these parks. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even like know that you could do that, but that's super important work. Yeah. And I mean, not even just with like parks or anywhere, but like, yeah, knowing your LNT, right. And then when you go anywhere, just, picking up trash can make a huge difference it's more than just like polluting the places but it really has an effect on the Mm, the ecosystem and animals will will really gobble up that trash pretty quickly um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay so one final question for you sure um and then i will let you go to play with your beautiful dog (laughs) donovan has the most beautiful dog yeah um what is something 
that you wish you could tell your younger self, like maybe before you came out, mm. as like a encouragement or yeah. inspiration or just like hang in there, kid, from your present self? I guess I would say patience is key and don't be afraid to like trust your gut, which I feel like I did do. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I, I feel very lucky that I'm not somebody that has a lot of regrets. Mm. But I, I'm very appreciative for the, the patience that I've had. I, yeah, I stopped talking to my mom that my first year of college, um, re reasons related to my gender identity and others. And so my family only kind of consists of my dad. And that was a really hard decision. But like still a very grateful decision that I've decided to make. And... Yeah, I just feel like every decision that I've just stuck my like heart to and I've just been very patient about all the different outcomes that have happened. It's just worked out for me. So I feel very, very lucky. Oh, that's so good. That's beautiful. I feel I feel like people find what they need. Definitely. In the journey, like as they come to it. Yeah. That was really big for me in my like coming out process. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I need like once I know, once I feel in my gut, like this is the time and I feel really really ready for something that I know and if not then like it's probably not the time yet and I'm probably trying to rush my timeline yeah so yeah yeah the journey really is beautiful and I I don't like that just just trans people get the usually get that coin of like we transition because I've seen the most amazing people come mm -hmm. to who are like gay and like lesbian and just like and also like their gender identity and just like come through this like amazing journey process and like especially the way in which they incorporate the outdoors with it it's fantastic yeah yep. it's beautiful to see i love doing this podcast and getting to hear all these different stories yeah because they're all very different but yeah exciting and inspiring ah uh, yeah well thank <laughs> you donovan thank you for having me this has been such a joy. Last time I saw you, I was camping in your backyard <laughs> in a tent. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, you could have stayed inside, but <laughs> I guess it would have been a little cramped. You know, I don't, I live in a city. I don't get to <laughs> oh, camp very yeah, often. And so it was a beautiful night. The stars were out. And I was like, I, I want to sleep in Definitely. a tent. So. Well, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for everything. You are yeah, the best. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Um, do you have anything you want to plug or like... Anything like that for people? Um, respect the outdoors. Love yourself. Do you want to? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Do great. Do great. <laughs>
Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at ride.outside, where we'll share sneak peeks of new episodes and other stuff we're working on each week. And check out our website to sign up for our newsletter, rideoutside.org. Until next week, folks, we hope to see you riding outside. This week's episode was recorded on Serrano, Western Shoshone, Kickapoo, Peoria, Potawatomi, and Miami land.